Welcome to Ridiculous Entertainment. Uh, my name is Tim, your host. I'd like to start out with a few housekeeping things. First off, thanks to HalokOJ28. That's impossible to say. It's HaloQOJ28 uh, for liking episode one on SoundCloud. And XAV for being my top listener on SoundCloud. I'm pretty sure that uh, right now, to be my top listener, all you have to do is to have listened to once for 30 seconds. But still, XAV, you to shiznat. Uh, I don't mean that. I mean you're cool, because I don't know what that first thing meant. But here we go. Um, we are also on Stitcher. We just got that done last Friday, so that's a thing now. Uh, we're still trying to get on iTunes, but we've been unsuccessful so far. I think that it might be because I say the word dick and talk about dicks too much. But fuck them. So here we go into the episode. So we started this episode by meeting a new character. Her name is Lori Blake. Uh, we'll find out later uh, in just a few minutes that she is a very important person to this story uh but what she does is she goes to a blue phone booth and uh, blue is also a very important part of this universe because it is the color of the big swinging dick of dr manhattan uh, so she so she goes to this phone booth it is to contact dr manhattan and uh she makes a call she's telling jokes they're not very good jokes uh she actually fucks up the first one and has to go back around and start a new one. But my question about the phone booth is not the jokes, not the woman, not anything. Is someone illegally monetizing off Dr. Manhattan? I mean, for real here, he is not seeing a dime of this. He's not getting paid. He is just being robbed by some asshole who set up a million booths saying that you can reach Dr. Manhattan. Also, it's a lie. You know, it's probably just a tourist trap. But that being said, if it is real... There's a problem with the logic, okay? Either he's got a billion people talking at him at the same time and there's no way that he listens to all of them, or he can simultaneously listen to them and keep doing about his shit, in which case he doesn't need the booth. He can just read their minds. So uh, those are logical issues that are with the blue phone booth. And I kind of think that there's a lawsuit there if anybody wants to get involved, you know? You can reach me at beep. So after that scene, uh, Lori Blake goes to a bank heist, she is the bank heister, heistess. She's fucking robbing the place. Uh, and a superhero who looks like Night Owl, talks like Batman, and doesn't have very cool toys, just shows up. And he's like, here I come to save the day. Which is cool. I'm about that life. But uh, the thing is that it's an entrapment. It's a bamboozle. You know, they are there to snare him. And he's walked right into it, you know. He's gone. They got him. It's nothing. Because uh, Lori Blake has secretly been a fucking FBI agent this whole time. The heat is on, motherfucker. After she does this deed to the Night Owl Batman douchebag, uh, she goes back to her home apartment, the place where she rests her head, and she is kicking it with an owl. Well, and also she's kicking it with Joe Keen, the senator from Oklahoma who's kind of an idiot and has a stupid name. Now, my thought about this whole thing is not their conversation. It's boring. Who cares? It's not about the room. It's dull. You know, it, it's stupid. Who cares? My thought about is the owl. So she has a pet owl in the room. It's covered by a blanket or whatever. They pull it off and, and they're, I think they're feeding it or maybe they're just petting it or maybe they're just looking at it. Regardless, it's a noble bird and you just locked it away. I think that's against the law. I'm, I'm positive that you can't have an owl without a permit or a license. Um, and, you know, you're just feeding this thing's Cheez-Its like you would maybe a Chihuahua or an Iguana. I don't know if you feed those things Cheez-Its or if that kills them. Who knows? I don't. But basically, you've domesticated and emasculated this beautiful, beautiful bird. But, you know, I kind of want to be the proud owner of a, of a moose or a lion or a tiger. So, you know, who am I to judge? That being said, 
I think that if anybody out there wants to get involved in getting this uh, Joe Keen fuckhead removed from office, I think we can get that taken care of. Just give me a call at beep. So basically the conversation with Joe Keen was, hey, you need to go to Tulsa to deal with the Watchmen situation. He didn't call it that because it's not what it's called, but he, go deal with the cop situation that's happening in Tulsa. So they go. He gets on, she gets on a plane, takes a, a young agent. His name's Petey. And uh, they go there and they start detecting shit. You know how they do. They somehow know where the secret lair of the police department is. You know, where the, the cops take their criminals to interrogate them. And they just know that. Uh, but they also just know the secret identities of the police officers. So obviously uh, this entire plan that they have could just be foiled by a corrupt politician, police officer, special agent, any number of people. And that would seem pretty likely. It's a universe in which corruption does exist. But they go to this place where, where the cops interrogate their criminals and they're, they're watching the door and, and a couple detectives show up. One being the red idiot, big red idiot. God, I, I need a better name for him. I think I called him Big Red Fuckhead last time, but that doesn't really roll off the tongue. And Pirate Jenny. So they roll up. They're kind of watching him for a second, and then she decides, I'm going to make myself known. So she hands the bag of sunflower seeds to her partner, Petey, which seems like a, a nice gesture. She's like, I'm done with these. Would you like them? But no, that's not the case at all. She's, she hands them to Petey and says, don't eat these because she's an asshole. I mean, who does this? If it were me and I were Petey, I would eat every last one of them. I mean, she'd just been so rude to him the entire time they've been next to one another. It's not uh, a situation that's healthy, and it's about to get even more unhealthy as the episode proceeds. Now, Big Red Asshole and Pirate Jenny take Detective Blake or Officer Blake or Agent Blake, whatever they're called, into the secret precinct. And you see these cops wandering around covering their face. It's not the first time we've seen them, but it's the first time that I started thinking about how do they schedule shifts? How do they know that if you've scheduled a person for a shift, that person is actually the person that's on the shift? Or have they just switched shifts without your approval? Seems like a big problem. Paychecks. These are all secret identities. Uh, putting names on paper seems like an issue. Uh, there, there's a whole line of thought that I don't think that the creators of this show thought of, but it's still a, a good idea. Uh, I think actually the yellow masks are pretty dope. The, the one that I don't think is dope is Dipshit Panda. I hope somebody karate chops Dipshit Panda in the head. So uh, Pirate Jenny and Big Red Dipshit take her into the, the cop cave or whatever you call it. And she requests to see Looking Glass because as of now, he's the big swinging dick around town. And I don't really believe that he wants to be that but Big Red Asshole is kind of an idiot. And Angela Ibar, uh, nun, nun chick, that's not right, whatever her name is, uh, isn't quite, she doesn't want to be that. I think she's reeling from the death of Don Johnson, uh, the newfound granddaddy issues, things of that nature. But she, she hasn't really come around on the role. So she walks up to Looking Glass, starts talking to him. And one of the first things he does is dabs his, his forehead for sweat. Now, if you have looked at the man for one second, the thing that you will realize first is that he has a mask on his head. So then I ask you, why the fuck are you dabbing your head, looking glass? You're not going to wipe the sweat off. You have a motherfucking mask on. It doesn't make any sense. Why are you doing that? You just look like an idiot. You're making us all look stupid. That's what your cop friends are thinking. I think that he gets into his identity a, a bit too much. You know, if one of these cops is most likely to break bad, well, let's be honest, it's probably Big Red Asshole. But... Uh, you know, it's probably him next. He, he is the second most likely Tulsa police officer to break bad because he just very obviously wants this life. He wants to be a superhero. 
and he's, but he never is invited to anything. Nobody invites him to go superhero or vigilante about or be cop about. You know, he just has to eat microwave meals with his mask half down uh, at home alone. And that's kind of sad for looking glass. Not for me. I don't do that every night. So anyway, the conversation lasts a little bit longer and uh, they, they go into the hub where they interrogate criminals. Now, she comes up with a great name for this. And I love it. And I love the look in her eyes when she says it. She calls it the racist detector. And that's just awesome to me. That's a really, really funny thing. And I think that this could actually be profitable uh, as a business. You know, you could shrink these things down. Not the, not the whole thing, but like a, a beeper. Something you wear in your pocket like a radiation detector, where if you or someone that's near you is being a colossal dickweed, you, you, that thing goes off. It's like a a woke alarm or a racist detector, you know, what she said, but it's really just a woke alarm, you know? Be right, be cool, don't be a dick alarm. So she's talking to Looking Glass. He reveals to her that the funeral for Don Johnson is in a few hours. So she leaves, goes, gets dressed, things of this nature. And at the funeral, Don Johnson, deceased Don Johnson, has decided that Angela is going to be the one to deliver the eulogy, which makes perfect sense. She is well-spoken, highly intelligent, and, you know, a good friend of his. But that being said, the task that is asked of her is ill-fitted. And it makes me wonder, does Don Johnson really know her at all? Is Don Johnson a raging asshole? Does he hate her? Is this his final revenge against her for a slight that she does not recall? Because he asks her to sing a song, and she has an atrocious voice. Just the worst. So my thought is that if you were a good friend of this person, you would know that they were a terrible vocalist. Also, about midway through the song, Agent Blake starts clapping. So fuck Agent Blake. It's a dumb, dumb thing to do. Uh, The clap never is any good. So she's done with the eulogy, and a member of the Rorschach gang comes up, and they've got a bomb strapped to him. They're like, hey, motherfucker, do what I say, or I'm going to blow you all to hell. Also, don't kill me. There's a a monitor attached to my heart. Well, what does Agent Blake do? Like an idiot? Like it's something to do? She shoots him in the face, or somewhere that's killed him. And that's a bad idea, right? That's a terrible idea. Well, uh, she thought he was bluffing. He wasn't. The bomb uh, starts clicking, beeping, whatever it does. Everybody runs, scatters. They're at a safe distance. And just to be safe, Angela pushes him in the hole. In, in Don Johnson's hole. Not his asshole. That's a weird thing. I'll probably cut that out. In Don Johnson's grave. But she doesn't stop there. She probably could have stopped there. Don Johnson is safe and out of the hole. His casket's probably going to get destroyed by the bomb. Whatever. But the, the hole has created a shape charge. It's a big rectangle with an open top. It's going to blow straight upwards. The people that have ran 30 feet away are now safe from the charge. Nobody's going to get hurt. Okay? But... Just for good measure, Angela pushes Don Johnson on top of the bomb. Now, I think that she just has a little bit of resentment towards Don Johnson. And you'll know why if you watched last week's episode where she found Don Johnson's clan robes hidden in the closet. As an African-American woman, you'd have to be pretty upset that Don Johnson is a giant racist. We all kind of suspected, though. After the funeral, we go to wherever the fuck Ozymandias is. I think myself and the internet are pretty much sure he's not on Earth, that he's on Mars with Dr. Manhattan, if that's in fact where Dr. Manhattan is. They're together. It's a punishment. Ozymandias has been Ozymandias has been locked away in solitude because he was a giant dick with a squid. But Ozymandias is not going to let that be. So he is trying, uh, it appears to be that he is trying to develop a spacesuit. And, and Ozymandias has what, what's basically medieval equipment. There, there appears to be plastic shielding, which wasn't around then. But other than that, he's got the plastic shielding and he's got 
like a, a suit of armor. So he affixes the plastic shielding, develops some sort of mithril substance, and then a leather cloth substance to try to protect him from the depths of space. He's making a spacesuit, and it doesn't work. But thankfully, thankfully, he has the foresight to stick the butler in there, because I fucking hate that butler. He's so annoying. Bring a horseshoe to a birthday cake, you dipshit. But that being said, he probably doesn't deserve to die, because, you know, that's just, that's not a cool way to go about life, giving out death penalties. But he dies, obviously, because he was hurled into space by a catapult, by a catapult wearing nothing but leather and metal. But my thought here is that Ozymandias immediately starts to brutalize this man upon his arrival. He starts kicking him and bootying him and and, and just breaking his brittle bones into pieces because he's just been in space. But my thought here is that Ozymandias probably isn't necessarily aware of the physiology of... These have to be clones, right? We're not all still kidding ourselves that these are his employees. I mean, it's funnier. It's definitely funnier if they're his employees, but no, they're clones. He doesn't really understand what they're made of. So my thought here is that maybe they could be thought out and returned to normal, and he just doesn't care. He's a brute, and he wants to kick the shit out of something. So he does. After he gets done beating the shit out of that butler, he decides to go back to the castle. Now, he's walking through the halls of the castle, and he sees the butler and Miss Crookshanks singing, and he had, they have the cake again. The fucking cake every day. Uh, I don't know. It's some kind of punishment, some kind of torture. It's whatever. So he's, he's got enough. You know, he's more patient than I am. I would have done it much sooner in much fewer days. But he, he just flips the cake high in the air. I mean, I can't blame him. Now, I wish that it would have fallen on the butler's head because I fucking hate that butler. I don't wish death upon him yet, but soon, probably. After that incident, we go back to Earth. Lori Blake is, she, she's about to make contact with Angela. She's standing next to Petey. Petey brought her some coffee. And what does she do? She steals his coffee and takes hers as well. Uh, because she's mean to that man. She's just so mean. It's an unhealthy relationship. It's about to get worse. But she's stolen it for a reason. She's going to give it to Angela to try and be like, good cop. Well, to, to then break into bad cop and piss her off. Well, Angela, once the bad cop begins, dumps it out and makes the weirdest fucking noise. If you're trying to be smart, you don't do that. If you're trying to be funny, you, you make a different noise. Intimidating, you're not doing that. It doesn't accomplish anything, I don't think. And I just, if I were her, I probably wouldn't make that ever again. Or the actress. Actress, don't make that noise ever again in life. I don't know if that's something that you just carry around with you in your pocket for if you need to make a noise. But actress, don't make that noise. Now, we'll end the show here. My favorite place and it's with a giant blue dildo specifically designed after the penis of dr manhattan now it doesn't have a head which is interesting but it is it is so assembly required because it's got a set of clankers on the bottom a big set of blue balls and it's funny that the dildo has blue balls she decides after looking at it for a few seconds that that's not the the variety of phallic shapes that she wants that night and who can blame you if you're sticking that up there it's not your undercarriage isn't going to be right for a bit Now, I don't know much about that because I don't have an undercarriage. I'm a man. But also, my assumption is that if you stick something the size of a human arm up your hoo-ha, your hoo-ha ain't going to be the same for a bit. Much like giving birth, uh, but more cylindrical. But she she trades the dildo in. She puts it back in the bag, the case, and and goes and sees Petey and gives it up to Petey. So so he gets a little bit of a reward after she's been a just a raging asshole to him for a few days at least. Uh, But still, just be nicer to people. You don't have to bang them. Just be nicer, you know? I think this was my favorite episode so far, and it was because of character absences, not of character inclusions. You know, it didn't have the wheelchair fuckhead, and it didn't have Don Johnson in it, and I just really loathe those people. But that being said, who do you loathe the most on this show? Who inspires hate in you? Is it Don Johnson, the red fuckhead? 
Joe Keen, possibly. You know, that wraps us up for today. If you're having fun with me, you should like, subscribe, bell icon, share, review, or whatever fucking things are with your platform. Just do it already. And tell a friend, you know, even if you don't like them, because most of this is garbage. And with that, this has been Ridiculous Entertainment.